You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Arlington Remastered. Chapter 24 The Decision. By the time I reached Washington with my story, it was too late. He had already been and gone, leaving chaos in his wake. My deposition at Langley to the Arlingtons and Unicorn was as detailed as I could make it, but all I wanted to do was leave. I stole as many glances at my husband as I could during this time and we were granted the afternoon off, whilst everyone else put their heads together to try to work out who Seth really was. To my shame, he had been correct in some things, about my mind being divided. I cast it back to the cave many times during the lonely journey. I needed to be away from those disturbing thoughts. Somewhere safe and warm. Somewhere that could remind me of who I wanted to be. Butler. Butler and I made love for six hours straight. We lay entangled in one another, under no requirement to account for our actions. He never asked me why I became quite as intense and voracious as I did. He didn't query the snarling or the clawing, or my sinking my teeth into him. But I could feel he enjoyed it. I was home. Thomas, when Sarah and I met up again on the night of the 7th, I told her exactly what had transpired atop the Capitol building. We recorded and wrote down every word that had been said and poured over the meaning, slowly, establishing a profile of who this person might be in the various ways we could respond to his demands. The hardest part was admission of what had happened between young Frederick and I. Her not knowing this had been a blanket I had hidden under for nearly a decade. She knew there was more. Her clever eyes flashed and I found the aftermath of speaking to someone who could tell when I was lying to them, or to myself, strangely empowering. Even as I stood to be at my most vulnerable, the walls came down. Sarah held me as we considered together the ramifications of my mercy to the Wendigo. She forgave me and told me to forgive myself. Jeremy Pines. I never got to see the Manticore. We were at Langley when it struck the city, 
and spent the late afternoon corroborating the eyewitnesses' testimonies and interviewing Director Arlington about his close encounter. The diagrams that stem from the descriptions were beyond fascinating as we tried to work out how the armor joined to the rest of its body, where the paralyzing agent for the spines originated, how it was able to fly, and most of all, how it seemed able to recover alarmingly swiftly from being wounded. To compound this was the description of Seth, how he had avoided questions about being the source of the Wendigo Plague. He could, in fact, be some kind of missing link. Donald and I were up to the early hours theorizing and hypothesizing in fits and starts. We fucked like bunnies in between these sessions simply because the excess energy was driving us insane and needed an outlet. I always concentrate better after I've climaxed anyway, and we ended up on relatively even ground in terms of clarity of thought. In the morning, he made me scotch pancakes, and I revealed my intentions to meet, and if possible, question Seth. That didn't go down at all well. I know he worries about me from day to day, but I can't sit in an office forever while the most fabulous things to ever set foot in this world are out there, waiting to be discovered. I reassured him that he is the home I will always want to come back to. He kissed me and made me an extra pancake. Thomas I spent the days after the Washington riots as the repairs and restructuring took place, planning out the new subdivisions of the NIA with Sarah, the executive assistant directors, and key White House staff. We needed new autonomous divisions for intelligence, homeland security, population management, illegal substances, and a rigorously corruption-proof investigation agency. The cartography side of things and mapping out America was the aspect we could make the most public-facing. After Raven's article and our subsequent interviews were published, there was more talk of the man people thought I was. It was time to give them heroes. Sarah. Heroes. That was Truth's suggestion. The ideal I embraced and eventually, so did Thomas. That was what America needed. People to look up to, be inspired by, and follow the example of. We were already on the right track with the handbook. Oakley had become something of a Washington celebrity. Catherine Holloway in West Virginia was held up as a champion of the South, and, as with Oakley, a model for strong womanhood. Curtis was being spoken of already as our next president, despite not expressing interest, and bearing in mind, he never much wanted to be general of the armies either. Sean Riley passed muster with the review board and Grant himself, and accepted the position of vice president. I advised that he should make a public speech on education within the first few days. And what do you know, he went off the map from Truth's provided script and talked, for seventeen minutes without stopping. When he was finished, the room was silent for a while, before a steady ripple of applause. Not the cacophony we had hoped for, but truth suggested that the assembly almost certainly found themselves thinking far more deeply than they had expected, and had been caught off guard. Thomas 
On March 16th, the army departed for Baltimore. Colonel Tremaine and his knights were among their number. Meanwhile, I had been thoroughly investigating any connections between Tremaine and the attack on the White House. The bodies of 17 men affiliated with the Knights of America were recovered after the riots. Each of them was disavowed by Tremaine, who claimed absolutely no knowledge of their involvement. And I could not guess as to their motivation. Every morning I read the papers, expecting to see the details of our past splashed across the front pages. But I kept my side of the bargain and stayed out of Van Tassel and thus Fisher's business. To that end, it was important that the investigation into him be carried out by a department that did not answer to me. Silent Company had done their job superbly and became the first clandestine arbiters of a freshly minted concept. Black Operations Sarah More heroes turned up on our doorstep in early April. The Steamheart expedition that emerged from our think tank became a citywide phenomenon that thousands showed up for the launch of. This was a hard time for Thomas and I. We had to bid farewell to Jeremy Pines, which left Unicorn broken up and in need of new staff. Raven being part of the crew meant that Washington lost its clearest voice in unflinching journalism. Major Butler and Captain Oakley's departure was another hard loss for us, but necessary for our purposes and to ensure trusted leadership. We had Steed and Latrum as our personal sharpshooters now, and Agent Lee rarely left Thomas's side. And Harry, our sweet daughter, now making her journey out into the wide world. There was never really much question of who should drive and operate the steamcraft. That didn't stop Thomas fighting tooth and nail to prevent her. And now they are gone, and the hangar rings with the sound of Edison and Tesla bickering. And I find that I am of a morning, sitting in Harry's bedroom and crying my eyes out. I ask myself if I am a bad mother for letting her go. The answer is always the same and rarely satisfying. But my pride in her bravery and ingenuity knows no bounds. And they will keep her safe. I tell myself I am sure of it. Thomas. The taking of Baltimore went better than expected, but casualties were still high. 1,412 men and women were bitten or killed, despite all our efforts of safety. We're getting better at war with the Wendigo, but they seem more cunning by the year. There were signs of communication and collusion, leading to ambushes that few survived. The families of the soldiers killed mostly accepted the sacrifices that had been made, but some blamed the deaths squarely on the Grant administration, and on me. More of those goddamn monkey posters showed up. This time I was dancing on the graves in Arlington Cemetery. Tremaine took his men back to Georgia, 
and said he would meet with us when we headed down his way. Admittedly, the fewer bodies to find homes for within the city now made the housing game a lot easier for McAvoy over the following weeks. Then my daughter left on Steamheart. The decision and preparation took two weeks, but it felt like no time at all. I visit Toshiro Yagyu every day to look at the new armor that she was crafting me before she left, and his beautifully structured efforts to complete and augment it. I find myself tapping the stone spring ceramic plates over my heart and remembering her own efforts to keep me safe. In a reaction to my feeling exposed and attacked, I have ramped up my training with Lee, pushing myself beyond my limits until my reflexes are nearly as fast as thought. It's just never fast enough. Strangely, it is not only the safety of Major Butler that I miss. He was a deeply agreeable, frequently challenging man that I could trust. I regret not taking the time to do so more often while he was still around. Sarah The night before our first public address to the nation was not going to be one of sleeping. This was it. No turning back after tomorrow. They would know of my close involvement with the writing of the handbook. They would know our faces. If truth had her way, we would be as well-known as Grant and Curtis, held up as heroes, working round the clock to save America. I came eight times this evening. By the eighth we lay beaded with sweat upon torn bedsheets. It's been a good month in that regard. I've considered putting a mandatory sex order in the third edition of the handbook. Sex and exploring another person intimately is not only a particular favorite pastime of mine, it's a self-replicating process. Obviously in terms of continuation of the species, but just like hate and kindness, it is a muscle that gets more attuned the more it is used. Conversely, starvation leads inexorably to cessation. Therefore, it is imperative that all cartographers experience what the French term le petit mot, at the very least once a week, lest they lose their zest for life. The term, which I read about only recently, means the little death, relating to that feeling of quiet after the muscles have relaxed when the mind is dreamy yet clear. What I find most interesting is the state of melancholia it suggests, similar to the after-effects of reading a book of profound emotional impact. I, for one, would not want to face a life devoid of that heady cocktail, for it leaves everything vivid and worth pondering. 
It connects you to the bloodstream of the universe. As I run my fingers over Thomas's body, I muse on whether heroism will be the same. He can attest to how well I respond to being adored. But will the sheer scale of connection between myself and millions of strangers fundamentally change the person I am today? I think we made a mistake. Mm. Hmm. What? With this whole public address thing, we should... We should cancel. We really should not. Everyone is going to be there at nine. If we cancel, they will have assembled for nothing. And we'll become famous for being chicken shit and wasting everybody's time. Why do they need to see us? Why do our faces need to be on every wall? Can't they just accept the handbook as who we are? Look, if you really, truly can't face them, I will continue to understand and support you, no matter what. But you and I know this is necessary. It may hurt like hell, and it may scare the life out of you. I'm scared too. But we have to get it done. We have to be brave. We have to be known. I'm not going to give a speech. I'm just going to greet the crowd and tell them I'll do my best. That doesn't sound like the Thomas I know. No? No. The Thomas I married, when given the opportunity to do something splendid, will never work in half measures. I think you're going to truly speak to them for the first time in your life. You're overestimating me. I have never overestimated you. You have always exceeded every expectation. If you don't speak with them, I understand. But like you said, power concedes nothing without demand. Frederick Douglass said that. I know. But you carry it on well. All right, settle down. May I introduce to you this morning Sarah Arlington, Deputy Director of the National Intelligence Agency. Good morning. We won't keep you long, we promise. This is just a formal introduction of myself and my husband. This may be quite a controversial reveal. I've been working with the NIA for seven years now. Since 1876, I have stood quietly beside my husband while we worked with the government to establish a plan of retaking America. And thanks to the efforts of our brave boys and girls in blue over in Baltimore, this month we are one city closer to achieving that. The cartographer's handbook, we can reveal now, was a shared effort 
crafted by the two of us from research based on the true testimonies of dozens of Americans like yourselves. The recent civil unrest this city has seen is exemplary of a desire for change. And while we deplore the violence connected with this reaction, we want you all to know that we're listening. Your voice has been heard and change is coming. It may not be the change that everybody wants, but our prerogative is to get as many of you as possible what you need. There isn't enough space for us all. We need new homes, new lands charted, new hope for the future. These things are coming, and a lot more, provided we can work for them together. My name is Sarah Arlington, and I am happy to serve my country and its people. And now Thomas will say a few words in closing. Ladies and gentlemen of America, it is my pleasure to I'm not going to lie to you. I have been in a state of perpetual fear about this moment. How could I come out of anonymous safety to stand here before you now, a black man, telling you all how things are going to be? A score of years ago, President Abraham Lincoln, with the Emancipation Proclamation, made a statement to the world the government of America considered all black men to be free. That made us all equally free, but not freely equal. No, that equality has come about through hard years of suffering for everyone, when all races felt lost, when men and women stood up to fight. A great deal of us now do think of one another as equal, with no documentation or legislation required. Acceptance was there because of the need for it. But now, for our next election, the law states that any citizen of America of eligible age may vote to decide on their next leader now we are truly at that place, in a legal sense. Some of you do not think like that. Some of you would rather put the slaves back in the fields, the women back in the kitchen. Some of you would send all settlers of these lands back to where they came from. As though the only true American is a white man whose ancestry dates back precisely 261 years to the pilgrims of Plymouth Rock. If you have shared our hardship in these lands, you are an American citizen. You are equal to the rest of us. And let no man tell you where the hierarchy starts and stops. If we are to survive the coming years, we must accept this simple fact. It must be universally embraced, and it must be now.
It must be now. When we are sick, we take medicine. It tastes bad, and we make a face, but we swallow it. And if we're lucky, we get better. If we refuse the medicine, and push on blindly through our sickness, and it can only intensify. Well, we've heard talk of whiteness equating with purity and strength, but this prejudice, this hate, this exclusion is motivated not by strength, but by fear, fear and vanity. We have been weakened, but like everyone, we aspire to be strong. And I tell you right now, the only way that we can watch our grandchildren play under trees our fathers planted is together. The only way we live is together. And if we fail, if the human race falls to the Wendigo, if we are wiped from this earth, it shall be together. I have been, I have been afraid of the fearful. I have been terrified of what horrific, misguided acts that they could accomplish, twisting the world to fit their mindset. Fear is important to us. It indicates we have something we do not wish to lose. Mr. Arlington! But what we must hold on Fucking to... Nigger. Fucking nigger! ...is the notion... Oh. The directors have been hit. Oh, God. Get these people out of here. Ladies and gentlemen, please disperse. Dr. Kaufman. Mrs. Arlington. Mrs. Arlington. Mom? Dad? Director, let me look. I'm all right. I'm all right. <laughs> Thomas, Sarah, you've been shot multiple times. Don't move. No, it's all right, you see. We're wearing armor. <sighs> Thomas. No, she isn't. I can't see you anymore. Put pressure on her chest. Hold his face together. I can't see you anymore. She isn't. Thomas, can you hear me? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Sarah. Stay. Stay. I told you, it, it, it's all right. We did it, Sarah. Sweetheart. We... We did it. I'm... I'm not... I'm not afraid any... Any more. 